right. Hi, everyone, um, and welcome to episode 12 of Slice of Life Sciences. Uh, we have uh, a great conversation lined up today as we're joined by Chris Ball, um, Chief Scientific Officer and co-founder of AI Proteins. So I've gotten to know Chris over the past year or so, um, which makes me especially excited to dive into his journey the newly founded biotech company um, that is focused on design and engineering of synthetic mini protein therapeutics. So we will learn a lot more from Chris, but Chris, thank you for uh, taking the time to join us today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Dave. I'm really excited to be here today. This is this is Chris's third podcast, so he's more of an expert than me. But um, we figured, Chris, I thought just to kick things off, and we were chatting a little bit uh, yesterday, we could really quickly just touch on a little bit about your background and then just dive into AI proteins and, and more kind of focus on that piece of everything, if that sounds good to you. Sounds great. Sweet. Um, so I guess between attending University of Maine to study chemistry, microbiology um, during undergrad, receiving your master's in, or master of science in biochemistry, then going to get your PhD at Dartmouth, I figured, was there a particular moment, experience, or lab you were working on that kind of, you're, in hindsight, you look back and, and think that started you on your path? Yeah, for sure. I, I, I've been, a, I guess, a lifelong protein geek. Um, I actually became very interested in protein engineering in high school, just taking intro level bio and under, starting to understand what causes cancer and that it's really, people think about mutations and, and the DNA that, that's causing cancer. But at the end of the day, it's those changes in DNA are changing proteins, protein levels, protein activity. And it's fundamentally the proteins that are, that are responsible and the proteins that we need to influence and target with therapeutics. Um, and so that kind of set me off in the, in the path for undergraduate to studying proteins. And um, while I was an undergraduate, a paper came out that just uh, fundamentally changed how I thought about the world. Um, and this was the first ever computational de novo design of a protein. So this was done by Brian Coleman, who was a postdoc with David Baker at the time. Uh, now he's faculty at UNC. And a de novo design means building a totally new protein that is no evolutionary history to anything uh, in the natural world. So this is completely synthetic. And the ability to do this just really kind of blew my mind. And this is what I knew that I wanted to do and kind of set me on set me on course for the, I guess, brought me where I am today. And you, I guess, right after you got your PhD, then you continued at the University of Washington Institute of Protein Design. Um, you were doing quite a bit, you, or you had your hands in a lot of things, it seemed like, right after you got your PhD. Um, I guess, knowing that this is what you wanted to do, did you know you wanted to start a company, or kind of what were you thinking at this stage after, whenever it was, 2012 maybe, up until AI yep. Proteins? Yeah, so, um, you know, I, I um when I was growing up, my dad was a machinist mate in the Navy. So, you know, he was the, the person who would fix the, you know, the mechanics of the boat while it was underway. And 
didn't really have any exposure into scientific careers, scientific career progression, what it takes to do any of that sort of stuff. And so um, I didn't really have a good sense for how to get where I should go or even maybe even what I should want that career to look like. Um, and so I oftentimes was just going and following the next step that was in front of me. I knew I wanted to continue studying proteins and learning about them and ultimately being able to engineer them. And um, in academia at the time, I think things are changing now, but the, the pervasive philosophy is that success is staying in academia and continuing to do academic research and to train the next generation of, of scientists. And that's um, certainly a very laudable objective, but it's not the only version of success. Yeah. And it actually, honestly, it wasn't until I got my academic position and moved to Boston that I started to truly explore biotech in the biotech space. And I think that's just because of the unique environment that we have here in Boston, where biotech and academia are so tightly integrated and there's so much crosstalk between them. And the town is so small and the community is so close that you just interact uh, a lot more. And, and, and kind of the traditional academic view I had of biotech is sort of the other. And I didn't really know much about them or how they operated or, or what motivates people to do that. Um, started to feel like more I was already a part of the community. And so making the transition from academia to biotech felt a lot less like a major career change than I think it would have a few years prior. So I, I, I guess that, that, that leads us to, I guess, how did the foundation of AI proteins come about? What was the genesis? And I guess at what point, what were you doing at that time? How did you meet the team? Give us the whole scoop. Right. So I would say that the genesis, I could trace back to uh, my postdoctoral studies with David Baker. Um, so I, and I mentioned that world's first de novo design. Yep. Uh, and um, after that, nobody did de novo design for a decade. It was this really hard thing that was proven that it was possible to do at all once. And then it would just sort of put on a shelf for 10 years. And um, I, I rejoined... Oh, I joined the Baker Lab um, right as the, I would say, the de novo design renaissance was occurring, where it, it was no longer going to be a, a one-off, it's possible to do this, but let's actually build the capability to design proteins de novo and, and be able to functionalize them. And so um, while, I was David, with, while I was with David, I did the world's first de novo design of a mini protein. And for folks that aren't familiar, mini proteins are this really fascinating uh, protein modality, and you can use it to make drugs that have unique properties. And it also has applications that are really far reaching beyond therapeutics, diagnostics, agriculture, pesticides, flavorings, biodefense. It, it's really, the potential is, is quite fantastic. Um, so I took this capability and uh, when I started my faculty position at the Institute for Protein Innovation in 2017, uh, the group focused on a lot of protein engineering technologies, but mini protein engineering was one of the major emphases. Em emphasis? Is that a plural? Um, oh, no, I, I, I knew what you meant. Emphases. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we worked on this a lot. We'll put it that way. Uh, and, um, I was saying so the same thing. Anyway. Yeah. Um, and so this was really quite fun. And, and uh, you know, as a, as a faculty, I was, you know, recruiting and, and and training folks, and um, the one of the major things that we were working on was building 
a platform for designing functional mini proteins and high throughput. Um, and we were getting a lot of interest from corporate partners that wanted to access our technology to create lead therapeutics. And it sort of felt like the technology was mature enough that it was time for it to leave academia and go uh, out into the biotech world where the, the platform could really yeah. start to make it make a difference. Yeah, so what, I guess, what, what challenges is a, what is now AI protein solving? Um, and I guess, what can the science technology, where can it take you and, and your company? Yeah, so, you know, uh, biologic medicines are really useful. And you can do a lot of stuff that you can't do with more traditional small molecule medicines, right? So maybe a, a great example is the, it's probably at the tip of a lot of people's minds is the recent pandemic, right? There's all these antibody cocktails that you kept hearing about in the news, like the Regeneron antibody cocktail that could neutralize the COVID virus. So antibodies are proteins. Um, and the protein-based medicines can do stuff that they can, you can engineer them faster and they can be safer than often than small molecules. Um, and you can do cool stuff like inhibit the way that a virus might interact with the surface of a human cell. It's much easier to do that with a protein than with a small molecule. Um, small molecules would be like aspirin. Um, and yeah. so these are like chemicals rather than, than something that, you know, your cells produce like a protein. Um, but I think it also highlights some of the limitations of protein-based medicines as well. Like while the Regeneron antibody cocktail was really great, uh, it, it was not equitably administered throughout the world, right? Um, the medicine required refrigeration to store. Administration requires like infusion facilities. So there's you know modern uh, hospital infrastructure that's required to administer it. It's expensive to make it uh, and give to people. And so the, the truth is that type of medicine is not helping people in the developed parts of the world. And so we need protein-based medicines that can do the same sort of fantastic things that antibodies can do. Yeah. Um, but we, we, we need to be able to make them cheaper. We need to make it so that they're stable enough that you don't need refrigeration because uh, lots of the world, if you need to refrigerate the medicine while you ship it and store it, it's just not tenable. Um, and then it needs to be easier to administer, uh, it, uh, ideally just taking a pill. Um, and so many proteins have the ability to solve these challenges and really democratize access to these really sophisticated modern biologic medicines. Are you focusing on a specific, or I guess specific medicines for now versus can the application be much broader down the road? Yeah, it's a really insightful question. And the, I think we're taking perhaps a little bit of inspiration from uh, maybe Tesla's business plan and that you, you start making a, a, a fancy high-end thing and then you use that to demonstrate the platform potential and, and then switch into more, you know, economic product, uh, you know, budget-friendly products yeah. later. So the first areas that we're going into uh, are not at all surprising. Uh, it's inflammatory disease and immuno-oncology, right? I mean, these are the, the big ticket areas where there's large, large markets. It's very competitive, but, um, uh, you know, you have the potential to generate enough revenue to get the company sustainable, sustainably financed into the future so that we can start to then work on um, 
disease areas where the margins are not quite so large. Interesting. And then I guess this might this is potentially a stupid question for someone that doesn't know, but how, what is combining computational protein design with laboratory robotics? I guess what is the laboratory robotics piece that your company does? Right. So I think a lot of is that people... a stupid question? No, that's 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 actually a fantastic <laughs> question. Yeah. Um, it, 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 yeah. The, um, this is maybe like let's pull back and you know look look at the the person behind the curtain here. So kind of kind of deal. So you know, you, I think people are used to thinking about AI as this fantastically accurate thing where you know you you hit a simple prompt and then like bam you get a you know a perfect picture of a cat yeah. wearing a top hat you know doing a tap dance or something right. <laughs> um, uh, but the truth is that we're not that good at it with drug discovery yet. It's really hard, and there's a lot of parameters that we simply just don't have enough data on for AI to be able to predict accurately. And proteins are also just really complicated systems that we don't understand well enough to even train AI to, to really do that accurately. So all that is to say is um, designing proteins is really, really hard, and the computation helps us a you know, a fantastic amount and enables us to do things that we otherwise couldn't, but the failure rate is quite high. And so we need to be able to actually produce and characterize lots and lots and lots of different things that come out of the computer in order to find something that works. And usually when you find something that works, it's not like the perfect high resolution picture of a cat, right? It probably has like an extra eyeball on it somewhere that you don't want. And so you need to be able to refine it and turn it into the, the, the final thing that was, uh, is what you're trying to produce. Interesting. Um, I guess shifting gears a little bit um, to the less technical side of things, but so so you have, or I guess it's been less than a year since AI was founded, is that right? And you've grown quite rapidly in that in that time frame. Um, what sort of culture um, are you building? Have you built? And just talk to us a little bit about the non-technical side of things. The the type type of talent you've hired, um, all that kind of stuff. Curious to hear. Yeah. So uh, this was one of the, the fun parts. And I think one of the things that um, our investors really liked a lot is that I uh, left academia, shut down the lab, canceled all the grants, and then uh, hired all of the postdoctoral fellows and research associates from my academic lab who were oh, no way. the world experts in this technology. Uh, and uh, into the into the company, so we had um, ten people that that came that right. came with me to form the foundation of the company. So we actually had a really lovely culture already. Uh, you know, it was a team that had worked together for for quite some time, and um, it was more just about keeping a good thing going. And then the the culture was so like welcoming and fantastic that we've been able to essentially double in size this past year and. And, and keep the the same the same culture going. So, you know, fundamentally, it's about the the team and teamwork and having everyone's voice be heard and respected, and just generally having a good time in lab. I mean, if you're if you're having fun, everything, even the hard stuff, is is enjoyable. And you know, if it was easy, it wouldn't be any fun. When it helps that you know, you've known each other for quite some time too. Um, how has it been for you to? I guess, go from that lab to be a part of a leadership team for your, I guess, as a first time founder, um, do any 
responsibilities and roles come more naturally to you? Have you, how has it been working with the board of directors? I imagine there are a lot of people that are helping you. So just how has that been, I guess? Yeah, it's been fantastic. So, so some of it is, you know, I joined the Institute for Protein Innovation as one of the founding faculty members there. Uh, this is um, an institute founded by uh, Tim Springer and Andrew Cruz, and, and Tim has made uh, several uh, incredibly generous donations to the institute. And uh, and so it, when I was when I was there, it was basically a startup institute, right? And so got to see a lot of the nuts and bolts of what it takes to build a scientific operation from the ground up and, and to contribute to that. And so going into the startup environment was maybe a little bit less scary because uh, I had done a lot of that already. Um, but then, you know, going into the, not having like a board and all these other folks, as you mentioned, was actually really fantastic. I think the thing that I hadn't realized before is that when people are invested in, in your company, they're invested in your success quite literally, and they want you to succeed. So, because <laughs> their investment is uh, is at risk here, so they, you know, they they help out a lot. And just having this this whole uh, you know collection of really brilliant, well connected people that are all pulling for you is just like this amazing feeling. So it's, it's been a, it's been an absolute treasure. I, I didn't realize how awesome it was. And you know, in academia, it's it's sort of like that, but not to this degree, right? I mean the um, the department administrator who's helping you with your grant, it's sort of, you know, they're helping you out of the good, goodness of their heart. They're not necessarily compensated wildly well, and whether or not you get the grant doesn't make much difference in their life. Um, you know, but in biotech, when everyone's got like stock options and stuff, like, no, we're all in it together. Like people are, are his motivations are much better aligned. Uh, and uh, it's so much easier to get people to just kind of help out and, 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 you know, all work together and work quickly. That's great. Is there a, are there certain, I guess, as you look back on the first year and, and now the, what will be the second year, are there s certain milestones that you're looking to hit year two? I assume year one was a lot of building the company, maybe getting some fundraising under your belt. I guess, what are you most excited about year two and beyond here as you've built the foundation of AI proteins? Yeah, exactly right. So we've been, um, you know, we started at an empty lab last November and we, we built the whole platform uh, from the ground up and we've been operating at the same time. Um, you know, people like to say like they're building the plane as you fly it. I, I think actually we maybe went one step further and we started skydiving with pieces of a plane and have been uh, <laughs> frantically <laughs> assembling the, the plane. But uh, we're cruising nicely now. And so I think that it's quite the accomplishment and it, I think really, you know, highlights the, uh, you know, how fantastic this team is that like, I had the privilege of working with. Um, and in the next year, the the big milestone is is um, showing that the platform works and that the the molecules that we engineer using this platform are safe and effective in when we we put them into animal models of disease. I like that we went from a Tesla analogy to the the plane analogy. So we have both sides of the coin there. I like that. Um, we're 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 coming up on time, but uh, I, I've asked entrepreneurs these two questions on just about every um, podcast we've had. And I'm always fascinated to hear the responses. And you've, you've touched on it a little bit, but um, it's two-part question, I guess. First, was becoming an entrepreneur, or if you look back as you were growing up, 
it, w would you be surprised that you became an entrepreneur and started a company? And then two, um, I guess, what advice would you give another Chris who's working in a lab um, who is about to start a company for the first time? Uh, let's see. Yeah. Um, I think for a long time, I, it's, it's hard to know, like really, you know, far back, but for the longest time, I, I think I always um, wanted to have a research lab um, and I s still kind of do. Um, <laughs> it's just bigger and, and um, I think I'm less involved in the, in the day to day uh, than, you know, I'm not like at the bench mixing small quantities of fluids like I, like I once did um, with you know, uh, Um but, uh, um, but from that perspective, yeah, it's not, it's, it's really not that different than, than being, you know, academics, being academics. Um, I think the, you know, for aspiring entrepreneurs, I guess, is, you know, when you have an idea, um, you know, go, go for it. Like, yeah. I think the things I, I didn't consider it before. And as soon as I started, I realized there's this entire community of folks that are really excited about entrepreneurship and are really supportive and encouraging and there's lots of materials and advice and um you know I, I definitely learned enough hard lessons the hard way in how to do stuff just uh and it, it's so refreshing to be able to learn hard lessons the easy way by listening to the experience of others yeah. um and I, I try to try to you know not be dumb every day i don't always succeed but um that that's that's the other you know the, the big thing is is in some ways it's I don't want to say it's easy to become an entrepreneur because it's it's hard, but it's there's so much more information available now than there once was, and finding community is so much easier now that we've got tools like podcasts yeah. um, that can that can help get information out and to connect people. And then I, I don't know, maybe I'll say it's just Boston is such an awesome town for doing this, and so I, I didn't do that on purpose, but man, I I, I feel very fortunate to have started an entrepreneurial journey in, in this town because the scientific community is so well integrated, the biotech community is so well integrated, and the venture capital community is also here. And it's all just, it's just one group, like everyone's friends with each other and um, can help you get connected. And uh, it's such a vibrant ecosystem. I, I didn't know anything like this could exist. And I don't think something like this exists anywhere else. Yeah, when did you move to Boston, Chris? Uh, 2017. 2017. Five years ago. Was it a pretty quick transition to meeting people in the ecosystem? Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, as soon as, as soon as I sort of come to town, there's just, you know, people, you know, with open arms, like, oh, yeah, let's let's meet. It's great to, you know, let's, uh, let's go have a chat and, you know, see if there's ways that we can work together. And it was just the community here was so welcoming. Uh, it was really surprising. I, I didn't expect that in, in any way. That's awesome. It's good to hear. Makes Boston in a positive light, which I like to hear. So, um, well, Chris, thank thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to, to give us a quick rundown on AI proteins, your experiences and everything. So thank you very much for joining the Slice of Platform. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me, Dave. I really had a good time today. No problem.